Okay, everyone, welcome to the second episode of the Circuit Realms Unraveling the Tech Verse uh, podcast. So the second episode of this is dedicated towards building an XR app. So how do I start building an XR app? So that's the question and that's what we're going to be figuring out today. Um, this is basically for not just for beginners, but also for some for some developers who have some sort of experience in building applications using maybe Unity or maybe some other tool or whatever it is. Um, let's see what sort of options we have in order to build an XR app. Um, so the audience today here, we have some people. If you have questions, feel free to put it in the chat. I'm happy to hear your thoughts as well. And also if you have questions on anything with related to XR, how to get started with things, feel free to put it in the chat. Okay, so I'm gonna be using my whiteboard a lot. So, and also I'm gonna explain what's on the whiteboard so the listeners can actually listen. Um, how do I start building an XR app? So that is the question. Um, so before actually, you know, starting to understand how to build an XR app, we need to know what XR is. This is actually a term uh, that has been around for some time. Um, we call it sometimes augmented reality, and sometimes we call it virtual reality. And also sometimes we call it mixed reality. So augmented, virtual, mixed, what is this? What is XR? So I believe, so this is my personal opinion, um, XR, X stands for either A or we, right? Or if somebody starts a new sort of a reality, maybe let's say hyper-reality or something, we cannot define what it is. As of right now, of course, because it's a term, um, maybe that also be a part of this X, right? So what is augmented reality? So some of you may know what augmented reality is, but some of you may not know. So we have two of these things, augmented reality and virtual reality. So we have two types of realities. Let's talk about the augmented reality, right? So in augmented reality, the term itself says it is reality, but it is augmented, augment reality. So there is a conference uh, called augmented human. It's, um, it's, it's not a conference, it's like a term. Out of that term, there is a conference in the world. It's a technical conference called Augmented Human. Basically, what they do is they talk about cyber-physical systems. They uh, release research papers on uh, new, you know, new technologies that has provided augmentation for humans. So what does it mean by augmenting human capabilities? Let's just say that I have an arm that can shoot, right? I have a mechanical arm that can shoot. So that means I have a capability that all of the other humans cannot do. That means I have augmented that capability onto me, right? I am an augmented human because I have an augmented component. So just like that, augmented reality is basically the reality, but you have some sort of components augmented on it, right? So for an example, let's say we have like some sort of a playground and on top of the playground, we can see a Pokemon. Diddy, Pikachu, right? Um, so that Pikachu or this Pokemon is not actually in my reality, but through some sort of an interface, I am able to see this augmented component, 
or this object, the Pikachu, right? So that is what is meant by augmented reality. You can actually see the reality, but on top of that, you have some other stuff that is augmented. So what is virtual reality? So virtual reality means, let me just take my pen here. Virtual reality means you do not actually have an actual reality. It's not actual reality. You don't have anything like that. Instead, you immerse yourself completely in a different world, right? For an example, um, there are actually, you know, if we refer movies, we, we can, movies and books, we definitely can find a lot of references. One of those is known as Sword Art Online. I don't know, maybe, I don't know whether you've heard of it. I, uh, I've i watched this um, TV series. It's, uh, it's an anime, actually, Sword Art Online. This is about a virtual reality headset. It's an old, old TV series, old anime. So it's nothing new, like, so virtual reality has been there since like some time ago. Um, so Sword Art Online is basically a headset that somebody puts in and you fully augment your, you fully um, immerse yourself into a virtual space, right? So that means there should be some sort of a way to somehow cover, so if this is you, there should be a way to somehow cover yourself around with something that can project a different environment, right? So that you can see, you can hear, you can speak with virtual objects in a virtual world, right? So in this case, you will never, you will never see something in the actual world, right? So this is virtual reality. Now, the, the question today is to how to build applications, right? So how to build applications that are either augmented reality or virtual reality. So some of the examples, before actually jumping into the tools and technologies that are available in order to build XR applications, let's look at some of the hardware that is available right now in order to actually do this, right? Because we need to have some sort of an interface in order to build an application, right? So if you have a mobile device, right? Somebody would be um, curious, okay, how to build a mobile application, right? Now we browse web every day. We go to a web browser, we, 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 go, we open up a web browser, we go to google.com and we go to like, I don't know, facebook.com, like different .coms and, you know, different websites. And somebody might wonder, how do we actually create something like this? How do we create our own website, right? So, we use, of course, we use different screens, different hardware to access some of these channels, access some of these um, technologies. So in this case, for XR, for augmented reality and virtual reality, we have to have some sort of a hardware system or actually some sort of a physical interface where we can access those um, experiences. Right, so let's talk about some of the hardware. So in my case, um, so in this case, we have, you know, not just one, but many types of hardware available, right? Of course, um, let's say 10 to 20 to maybe 30 years back, um, you know, virtual reality and augmented reality has been around, right? So it's now that we are seeing something in the consumer world, but when it comes to enterprise research labs and things like that, there has been like a wide range of different virtual and augmented reality hardware Right. In fact, the first augmented reality device uh, was known as the Sword of Democ 
Damocles or something. I couldn't actually know the, uh, couldn't remember the actual term. But it was built in 1969. It's like more than, not 40, it's more than like 60 to 70 years back. And um, so it's a hardware, right? So we have an interface. So what are the interfaces that we have right now in order to build AR and VR apps? So when it comes to the consumer market, one of the first ever devices that has been made for virtual reality experiences is actually the Google Cardboard. It's affordable. It's just a cardboard, right? And it doesn't have any technically technical interfaces or technical hardware in integrated. It's just a it literally a cardboard box. So what you do is you use your mobile phone and what it does is it, the mobile phone, the, the display of the mobile phone splits into half so that it will give both of your eyes a stereoscopic view, right? And with that stereoscopic view, along with the um, accelerometer and the gyroscope sensor data, the mobile phone has had the capability to identify the um, the movement of your head, right? So that has been used as one of the uh, the earlier consumer level VR headsets, like where you use your phone because you don't really have to buy a separate hardware. You just go ahead and just get a mobile phone, which already has some sensors that can actually recognize your movement, your rotation around you, uh, your rotation of the head. Um, and those details have been used in order to create um, virtual worlds. And this is purely VR. And then, of course, we got some other devices like Galaxy, um, Samsung Gear VR. And uh, there is another one that uses a mobile phone called VR Box. And there has been a lot of uh, applications. Even, even right now, um, Zapworks. Zapworks is a company that actually builds um, AR tools. Zapworks, they have also released their own headset, but it's not actually a headset. It's a hardware device where you can put your phone in and experience augmented reality in a different way. And also it has its own, um, you know, passive controller. It's not an active, it doesn't use any electricity or whatever, uh, or whatever but it uses a passive controller to actually do some uh, interactions. But let's talk about that in a, in a later time today. Okay, so, for VR, we definitely need a VR headset, right? That's how we actually, you know, that's how we put in, put on our head and that's how we actually immerse ourselves into another world. But for AR, of course we have headset. We can wear a headset. So what I'm wearing right now is actually a spectacle, right? An augmented reality headset is actually, a, um, let's just say it's a, it's a different version of a spectacle, right? So just like a spectacle, you wear something, you wear a headset, and what you can see is the actual world. You don't see anything else. You don't see a virtual world or anything. Basically, what you're seeing is the actual world. And the interface that divides me and the actual world has the capability to project objects so that I can see those objects through my eyes on top of the actual world, right? So in AR, we have variable devices, variable devices, and also, we have non-variable devices. So this is where we actually started. In fact, uh, in 1969, the Sword of Democles, the, um, the first ever 
XR headset is actually an AR headset. It's not a VR headset. Basically, it's a glass that projects a small 3D cube that rotates around. You can search for it. I can share the link uh, separately. But that's the whole idea, right? So you wear something and then you kind of see that. That's the wearable. The other type is non-wearables where you actually use a screen, right? So this is, these are my hands, right? If these are my hands, you actually use a screen and use a camera to capture the world. Instead of using like a transparent interface like this, you use a camera to grab the actual world data and then do some sort of a processing and project that camera will behind some 3D models or some augmented objects, right? So that is known as screen space uh, application. So we, we have a screen space. We are not actually looking through a wearable device or like a 3D device where we have our uh, degree of freedom with our head, but instead we're using a device that we can hold by our hands. So it's a handheld device. We can call this as handheld AR, or you can just call it as a mobile AR. Um, you know, we can, we, can, we can have different names. So there is no specific name for this, but the idea is that you use a tablet or a phone or any sort of a screen-based hardware in order to check what's on, um, you know, what you can check in augmented reality. Okay, so those are right now, those are the main three types of things. We have wearable VR headsets and we have wearable AR headsets and also we have handheld AR headsets. We can have handheld VR head, VR uh, devices, but that's just a 360 image or something that you can like, it doesn't actually immerse you. So we cannot actually talk, we cannot actually consider this as an immersive application because I don't see how immersive that is. You're just literally moving your uh, device up and down uh, and you don't, you don't really see something that's immersive. Instead, like you're just moving a camera inside a 3D scene. Okay, so now we have different types of hardware, of course, right? So some of the examples of like quite recent hardware, we, we talked about some uh, virtual reality and augmented reality headsets in our previous uh, podcast. So what, what are the devices that are currently available, like widely available in order to create VR and AR applications? So starting with VR, of course, we have the Google Cardboard, but the technology is a lot deprecated right now. Like, I don't think that Google is supporting Google Cardboard development a lot. It used to go its peak around 2015 and 2016. Um, as a matter of fact, that's when I started jumping into this XR field. So I believe it is already, it's there. It's still there, even if you go to Google Play Store, or Apple App Store and try to download Google Cardboard, you will be able to see it because the, you know, the uh, uh, the sensors are already, like they're still there in our phones, right? So we don't really uh, need to, you know, we don't really need to discontinue or disconsider that. So I'm just gonna call it VR Box. VR Box or Google Cardboard, right? So we can call it Cardboard or maybe Samsung gear or something, right? So these are like the, the the smallest possible ways of how you can build VR applications. And then also we have um, standalone VR headsets. An example of this is the Oculus Quest. 
Oculus Quest. Uh, we have Oculus Quest 1, 2, 3. There's a new one coming in that's called 3. And then there's another one that came out like a year ago. It's called Oculus Quest Pro, which is very expensive compared to other Oculus uh, Quest devices. And this, all right, this device uses Android as the operating system. So the VR box, Google Cardboard, this depends on the mobile device that you're using. So you can either use Android mobile device, Android mobile phone, or an iOS device for this. But when it comes to Oculus Quest Pro 1, 2, 3, it uses Android as the operating system. So if we are building an application that should run on an Oculus Quest, that means we should know how to build Android applications, right? If we are to build VR applications that runs on a Google Cardboard, we need to know how to build iOS, which, use, which runs on Apple devices, and Android applications, right? Okay, so apart from that, there are other standalone headsets. There is another one called HTC, um, um, I couldn't remember, it, it's uh, from HTC. And then there is a Pico headset, Pico VR, and there are loads of other headsets that are standalone. So what does it mean by a standalone headset? A standalone headset is not just a screen that renders everything, but the whole game or the whole application, the experience that you have created, it runs within the device itself. It's like a mobile phone that is strapped to your head, right? You don't have like a cable that's going out of your headset to another computer or anything. Basically, you have the, the device that's strapped onto your head and the whole processing and rendering, showing the whole images into your eyes, everything is done within the device itself. So we call it standalone VR. Standalone VR has, a, has an issue, right? The issue is, of course, you know, it's standalone and uh, the issue is the battery because, you know, it has to run everything in the device itself without actually connecting it to a power source. So the only power source that's available for these standalone headsets is whatever the battery that's inside the device. And when that battery is over, obviously within just a couple of hours, max, and then you have to charge it again. So the experience that you're getting in standalone VR headsets is somewhat okay, but at the same time, it's not like unlimited time that you can spend in a VR experience that uses a standalone VR headset. On the other hand, we have very high-end headsets such as um, HTC Vive, not this Vive, but there is an HTC Vive that came out uh, years ago, and it is known. It is also known as a tethered virtual reality headset, HTC Vive, and also we can call we can say um, Oculus Rift, and uh, what else? We have another headset called Varjo. We have another headset called uh, Pimax. So all of these headsets. These headsets are just a screen. It's just a screen. Consider this as a monitor, right? A monitor with uh, a monitor in steroids, right? So what what does they what do they do? Basically, they send you the they send your movement data to the computer through a wireless network or through a wire, right? So that is why we call them tethered VR tethered VR, right, tethered VR, and it's connected to another computer. So the whole processing, the 3D rendering, 
everything happens in a computer that's actually connected to a power source that gives unlimited power as long as the power gets in, right? So the headset gets power and it doesn't have a battery, so there's no issue with the battery. And also, it runs on a computer where you can upgrade to the latest graphics processor. So the rendering, the realism that you can get with some sort of a um, tethered headset is massive. And how do we build applications that runs on tethered VR devices, right? As I said, all of these devices, they connect to a computer. So if this is the VR headset, this connects to a computer, and what does this computer run? Most of the cases, the computer runs Windows as the operating system. Windows. I, you might wonder, where, where is Mac? Where is Apple Mac? Of course it is there, but the support that Mac devices has given to tethered VR is very minimum compared to Windows, right? It's almost, it's almost, it's really hard to actually run a, um, uh, an external graphics processor. Of course, you, you can run an external graphics processor. You can connect to, there is a cable called Thunderbolt. You can connect that cable to your Mac. And then the graphics processor or the graphics card is actually an external one where you can connect your VR headset. But on the other hand, you have to have some drivers that actually runs your VR headsets on Mac devices. So that's the whole process. So let's consider as Windows uh, in this case. So whatever, if you are building a, a VR application that runs on a tethered headset, always go for either Windows or Mac. Right. Some of the widely uh, used examples are, uh, let's take a game. For example, Beat Saber initially came to Windows. Beat Saber is a popular game that runs on most of the VR headsets available in the market right now. And Beat Saber initially came to Steam and as a VR application. And then Oculus, came, Oculus Quest came out, which is a standalone headset, and Beat Saber created a port like it just ported into Android. Like the first time that I played Beat Saber on a standalone VR headset, I was amazed by how realistic it was. I mean, it was not realistic, it is stylized, but the, the, the amount of optimization that they have done in order to run that much of a big application in a small device like the Oculus Quest is massive, right? So they've managed to do that. So Beat Saber initially started running in Windows and they moved on to Android. Right? Now they have like they have the same application in both of the platforms. Um, another example that uses tethered VR is uh, Half-Life Alyx. Half-Life Alyx. This is one of the best games that I've played that I've ever played in VR, and it is one of the most realistic games when it comes to graphics. Because it is realistic, it has to run on a PC. Even my PC, I have like a uh, GeForce RTX 3070. I'm not using the highest end uh, graphics card, but it's a good one. It's an RTX. It's a good graphics card, but even that graphics card had to push it push to its limits in order to run this, right? So it's some it's some sort of a game that can never be played on a standalone VR headset. Um, there is another game called uh, Red Matter. Uh, Red Matter 2 is like a newest game, and they've used Unreal Engine. They highly customize the Unreal Engine to somehow port the game into Android. 
that's a big achievement, right? Somehow port this much of a big game to Android is is like a big achievement. So they have they have spent years trying to optimize their own ways of development. When it comes to optimization, I'll talk about that in a later. Okay, so we talked about virtual reality development and what sort of platforms that are available to build applications and what sort of like widely used hardware available. I'm not gonna take a lot of time trying to talk about hardware because that's like countless number of hardware that are available right now. And I don't think this hour is gonna be enough to talk about them. Okay, now let us talk about augmented reality devices. So I was talking about VR headsets, right? So we have uh, VR headsets. I started from uh, VR box, right? So um, in terms of augmented reality, my first ever augmented reality application that I built was in uh, around 2014 using Unity engine on a very old uh, um, 2 GB RAM. Yeah, I think it had 2 GB RAM. Android device. Obviously, you know, augmented reality has been around since years. Um, there was a there, there was a framework called AR Toolkit, and uh, that was built in 1990s, right? And AR Toolkit has been used to recognize mark-based um, augmented reality, and some of these applications have been used. Um, for example, there was a magazine that has been used to, um, uh, you know, show Robert Downey Jr. in AR. Like this was in 19, not 1990. It's, it's around 2000 and in between 2005. Um, but uh, like AR became popular when some tools like Unity and Vuforia uh, and, you know, some tools like that had become available for the general public to, uh, to integrate. Uh, but this was my first ever application. And as you can see, I built it onto an Android mobile device, right? Um, augmented reality, like when it comes to accessibility, mobile phones are the best available hardware, right? Mobile phones, not just mobile phones. Let's call it smartphones, right? Smartphones are the highest available platform where we can build AR applications on, right? Because, you know, there's like billions of smartphones around the world. Every people, every person is using some sort of a smart device right now they have a camera that can open and they have the amount of necessary processing power in order to run some sort of an AR application, right? So that is the most accessible way to reach out to a wider audience of um, uh, people who actually use this augmented reality. And there you go. So in most cases, uh, when it comes to the market share in terms of Android, iOS, and other operating systems, almost like more than half of it is Android. Right, um, because you know the regions like North America, like Australia, iPhone is the dominated market. But when it comes to Europe and other regions like India, uh, China, most of the people use um, iOS as sorry Android as their preferred platform because like, there's countless number of device manufacturers who actually builds Android uh, mobile phones, right? So both of these devices have cameras. Both of these devices have gyroscope sensors, accelerometer sensors, which can actually contribute to, plus the processing power, which can contribute to AR application, you know, application development. 
right? So if you are planning to build an IO, uh, build a mobile-based AR application, you have to know how to build AR applications on Android and iOS, right? So just like VR, we need to know either use, either build applications for Android or iOS if you're using like a cardboard kind of a thing, or you had to build a VR application to Windows or Mac. The other type of AR headset are actually wearables. Now this is where the fun starts. <laughs> this is where the fun starts. AR wearables is a very, very, how do I say it? It's like a unicorn. We can explain what it is, but we haven't actually seen um, the reality of it, right? So one of the first AR wearable devices that has seen the world of the consumer market is Microsoft HoloLens, which is right now discontinued. Microsoft HoloLens, it uh, released the HoloLens 1 version, which is a bulky headset, and then version 2, which is a standalone headset and uses a battery pack in the back, in, you know, behind of your head to actually run augmented reality applications. Right? It's a headset which looks exactly like a spectacle, but with a lot of other components around it. And it had the capability to actually, you know, augment 3D models and content to the actual world. Let's talk about what those capabilities are at a later point. And then now all of this, uh, you know, this, this Microsoft HoloLens 1 and 2, both of these are now discontinued. They're not going to be building it... Um, um, they're not going to be actually building a lot on this, but we have some we have some good news that I'm hoping to share uh, at a later point. And another AR wearable is Magic Leap. Magic Leap. So Magic Leap it was very controversial. Uh, Magic Leap got like a three billion dollar or some sort of a some sort of an investment from Google when they're actually researching on the development of it. And most of their promotional campaigns actually showed Magic Leap as a non-wearable augmented reality holographic technology. So we were kind of hoping that, all right, so just to augment, you know, just to experience an augmented reality application, you have to wear this. And it's not multi-user. Like you and your friend cannot experience it at the same time. It doesn't make sense, right? You're not seeing the same thing. You may not see the same thing. Instead, you're just wearing something and it's just you who's seeing it. And it doesn't actually give you that sort of an immersion. Like even if it is in front of you, it's just you who sees it, right? So Magic Leap's marketing was that. They released a bunch of videos that actually showcased this like a, um, you know, like a holographic thing. One of those advertisements, one of those marketing videos were, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a basketball ground, in a basketball arena. A huge whale pops out of the basketball arena and goes down and people around sitting around the basketball arena, they were like, you know, saying, wow, without wearing air, wearing any headsets, right? So that actually, um, so people were expecting some sort of a non-wearable device, but it turned out to be a very hilariously looking um, device, right? So it was, it was fun while it lasted, but when they released it, it's... You know, it's not what people actually wanted. But when it comes to Magic Leap, uh, right now, this is one of the devices that actually convinced me when it comes to AR, 
because their their second device, which is the Magic Leap Two, um, runs um, runs Air applications in a more immersive way. Um, but of course, it's it's not it's not immersive as you feel it. It's not like virtual reality, but it's um, let's just say that you have a field of vision. And the field of vision, when you wear a spectacle, you can always see out of the, you know, out of these uh, glasses, right? So what happens is that, of course, you can see out of the glasses and within the glasses, you can see the 3D model, right? You can see, let's say you can see a 3D model or a 3D character just waving at you, which is good. It's immersive. You can see it. And then you slowly move your head. You rotate your head around. You turn your head around and you can see that 3D model that was on your table kind of clips away. So even though Magic Leap or Microsoft HoloLens is good, AR wearables are good, but the problem is it, it is not that immersive. It, it, the immersiveness kind of breaks when the 3D model that's in front of you gets cut or clipped by the field of vision that the device has allowed, to you, allowed you to do. And uh, another AR variable that are in the uh, currently in the market is called Xreal. Xreal AR. So there are a lot which uses Xreal AR. There is a, um, a platform called Qualcomm Snapdragon. Yeah, it's not actually a platform. It's a, it's a frame. It's an SDK, but. Because it's an SDK and it's built by Qualcomm, Qualcomm is a hardware, like a microchip manufacturer company. They've built a microchip which actually runs, which actually has the native capability to recognize your um, rotation and movement in an actual world. Uh, so you don't have to rely on software for that. So this microchip has been used in various number of AR and VR headsets. Right, like uh, Lenovo has VR and AR headsets. Um, Philips has AR headsets. Like there are companies that you haven't even heard of, which actually manufactures augmented reality headsets, which actually uses Qualcomm Snapdragon as their back uh, chip. So there are a lot of devices. Most of the devices, including Xreal. So Xreal has, uh, this used to be called Nreal, Nreal, and they had like, a couple of heads, a couple of spectacles, which looks exactly like a spectacle, and you can wear it. It looks like a sunglass, which which has a cable that connects to a phone. So it is the phone that processes the whole application. So the phone usually is an Android device. You cannot run iOS. Uh, you cannot run it with an iOS device, and uh, it comes down to the operating system, Android. Let me just get green color here. Android, right? Magic Leap has its own operating system called LumenOS. Right? It's its own operating system called LumenOS. And Microsoft HoloLens, as you can assume, it uses a different version of Windows, right? So um, Microsoft called it uh, mixed reality operating system, but basically it runs a different uh, mixed reality version of Windows. Okay, so we have different operating systems now. We have different headsets. Now, how do we actually build applications onto this? So first of all, I'm gonna take some of these uh, operating systems that I talked about before, and I'm gonna just jot them down in the side of it 
right? So what is what is the highest mentioned operating system? It's Android. The second highest mentioned operating system is Windows, right? Windows. And the third highest one is uh, Apple, iOS. Maybe we can have like another one, which I'm gonna talk about right now, is the Vision Pro, right? So that is a new, new headset. It's not even in the market, but millions of people are talking about it, which is good. It validated the market. That's what I told in my previous podcast as well. I'm happy that it came out. There is a bigger competitor in the world right now for augmented reality and virtual reality headsets. As a matter of fact, Apple did not mention this as augmented reality or virtual reality. Like they say, immersive and fully immersive. <laughs> That's the terms for VR and AR. So it's not VR, it's not AR. What they say is immersive and fully immersive. So whatever it is, Apple Vision Pro has its own operating system. So that's how Apple is. They try to build something by their own. Um, that operating system is known as um, Vision OS. I'm just gonna jot it down here. Vision OS. And fortunately, it runs a very similar backend when it comes to development as Apple iOS, Mac OS, um, and iPad OS. So basically what they do is they have this ecosystem, this developer ecosystem, which like if you learn how to build iOS apps, it's just a matter of learning a few tweaks to actually build a vision OS app, right? Because you already know the fundamentals of building an iOS or an Apple app, right? So that's why they, they have built their own operating system. Ob obviously uh, they will not rely on Android. It's gonna be hilarious if they rely on Android. Um, and the other operating system, as I said before, is, Ma uh, is Lumen OS, uh, which runs on top of Magic Leap. Okay, so we have, we now have different operating systems. So this is where we actually try to figure out, okay, so I'm gonna be building an XR application. How do I start building an Android application? How do I start building a Windows application? How do I build an iOS application? I'm not going to go into deeper level of all the exact, all the available tools right now that we have in the market. I will just roughly tell you like these are some of the tools that we have. You can of course search for them and see like how to get started with developing uh, for such a technology. But then of course I will suggest some of the ways and at the later uh, and at the last section as the last section, let's talk about some use cases of how to actually get started building different types of AR and VR applications. Okay, so for Android, by default, they have given us a software development kit. Basically, it's known as ADK, Android Development Kit, right? Android Software Development Kit. Uh, they have another one called NDK. It's known as Native Development Kit. Basically, using ADK or Android Software Development Kit, what you're doing is you're writing to the core of the Android operating system, right? So currently they haven't actually given a lot of um, platforms to like a 3D engine to visualize or, you know, uh, to make your own function. Of course, there is one. Uh, I would like to call this as a native application, native application. 
One of the examples for native Android VR application is ShapesXR. If you want to have a look at it, ShapesXR, it runs, it is built on top of Android. It runs only on Oculus uh, Quest and some other Android standard on operating systems. It doesn't have like a tethered Windows application because it uses Android native SDK to build that application, right? And also if you open up a, a, a non-game application, for example, a, a, a mobile browser, a web browser or a video player in VR or Netflix, right? Yeah, another example of this is Netflix. Netflix has a VR version and this VR application has been uh, built on top of uh, native Android SDK. So if, let's just say that you want to build a VR or AR application using this SDK, of course, Android has provided tools, like one of the leading tools that you can use in order to build Android applications is Android Studio, right? You can use Android Studio. And on top of that, we can use some frameworks, some SDKs that Android has provided to us in order to build AR applications. For example, to build an AR application, we have something called AR Core, which I will talk about in a you know, a little later. And um, as I said, this is the Android, like if you are to build a, build a VR or AR application, this is where you have to get started. And usually the languages that you have to use is Java and there is another language called Kotlin, right? So you can use either Java or Kotlin to build your own native Android application, Android VR or AR application. There are some benefits of this, right? Because you are using the recommended software development kit for the development of this, right? They're, like Android recommends using um, Android Studio. Android recommends using Java or Kotlin and their own native SDKs, which actually is optimized. So you don't really need to spend time optimizing it for that specific platform. It is optimized, it is fast, and, uh, you know, and it only runs on Android, right? But, you know, you, you kind of feel how smooth it is when you actually build using the Android um, SDK because it already has provided you with all the components that are necessary. Like for an example, if you need a button or something, the button, you don't have to invent your own button or you, have, you don't have to write your own button. A button component is there where you can use through the native SDKs. Right? That button is already there. You don't have to build the button by yourself, but it will look like the UI button that you see in all the other native applications in Android. Right? For an example, if you open up uh, your Android uh, messages application or the call application or the settings menu. So these are built, these are applications built using the native SDK. So just like that, if you open your VR headset, and you can see the menus and everything. You open settings menu and everything. You can see all the UI. All of these are built using their own native SDKs, right? So that is how it runs um, native. That is why we call it native. So just like that, if you are to build, if you want to build Windows applications, now this is fun because Windows applications can be made using like various number of technologies. You can use JavaScript if you want. You can use Java if you want. Uh, you can use 
um, C sharp or C++. Usually C++ is the native, like when we say native, C++ can be run in all of these platforms, right? So you, like if you're building an application that runs on Windows, then uh, there are some certain technologies where you can uh, build native applications, one of which is uh, C++. Um, and you cannot just use C++. Of course, on top of this, you, ha you have to use uh, graphical rendering and it's a lot of work. Right, it is a lot of work, and I would not recommend going in the going down that rabbit hole because it feels like you're starting, you're building everything from scratch. When it comes to iOS and Vision OS, right? So if you want to build iOS or any application that relates to Apple platforms, you have to use a tool called Xcode. Xcode, right? So if you have built uh, an iOS application, you can never build an iOS application without using Xcode, right? Xcode is a tool that is created by Apple that can only be installed in an Apple device, right? And that can only be used in an Apple device. So when it comes to Apple, they have maintained the ecosystem, so it's kind of interdependent. So if you want to build an Apple AR application, you have to use Xcode. And Xcode currently supports two languages. Uh, one is called Swift, which is a language built by Apple. And then there is a customized C++ version called Objective-C. Objective-C, right? So those are the two main languages where you can build native iOS uh, and Vision OS applications. Uh, Vision OS, I don't think uh, Objective-C is available, but Swift, is there. So even if you even if you have like the beta version of the Xcode, you current you even right now you will be able to build a small application um, using uh, Xcode. For Vision OS, there is a simulator for Vision OS um, which you can do. So so these are the like let's say high level, you know, when it comes to high level, this is some of the tools that we can use to build native applications. But now there is a, there's a problem. Now, you spend a lot of time building your own Android uh, application using an Android developer kit, but the problem comes in when you really want to actually pour it into another platform. Let's just say that you build a very nice looking game that runs on Windows, and you want to build it to run on an Android device, right? Unless your focus is only on Windows, just like Half-Life Alyx, they never really want to put it into Android. We don't know, maybe in the future they do that, but as of right now, they don't want it, so they build it on top of Windows and it can run only on Windows. Um, but if you wanna port it, then of course you have to do it twice, right? If you're building an Android application and uh, you want this to be uh, working in your friend's device who uses iOS or Apple, right? If you build an Android, app using Android Developer Kit, you'll have, you'll have to restart developing the same for iOS. Now that's a problem. You have to do the same thing twice, right? It's an operational overhead. Like let's just say that you start your own company and then you started building an AR application that runs on Android devices and uh, the client would come and say, hey, you know what? I don't need Android. I need this to run on Apple devices as well, 
because I'm going to sell this in North America where the, um, the market penetration for iOS devices is high. And uh, as a company owner, you'd be like, oh shoot, I have to now start from scratch, right? So <clears throat> in order to mitigate this, or at least uh, reduce the amount of workload that you have to do, people have actually built applications or tools that allows us to build applications that can run on multiple platforms, right? So, um, of course, like you don't, we don't have to start with Unity, but there are like multiple packages, uh, you know, um, for an example, there is something called Pygame, right? Pygame is a, is a framework that allows you to build games using Python programming language and you have the capability to convert the, the game into different platforms. All right, so I have Windows and Android and iOS. So as you already know, like for Windows, it has its own developer kits that, uh, um, you know, that we use to build Windows applications. And Android, I told we have Android developer kit and also for iOS, we have Xcode that can actually build applications, right? So there are tools that people have developed. For an example, let's just say Unity, right? So you use Unity, which has the capability to build for multiple platforms. We call these platforms cross-platform plat uh, cross tools, right? So using a cross-platform tool, you will be able to just develop once and you will be able to export what we call build, build to multiple different platforms, right? So Unity will not be able to single-handedly build to Windows. What they do is they use the Windows developer kit's help and build a Windows application. So if you are using Unity, you have to use Android SDK because Unity uses Android SDK to build an Android application. And at the same time, Unity uses Xcode to build an iOS application. So the conversion doesn't happen by itself. The conversion actually uses iOS, Android, and Windows, and any other operating system that it supports to convert the application that you built so your application can run in those platforms. Okay, so some of these, like, you know, Unity is one of the most widely used applications uh, or tools to build augmented reality and virtual reality applications, mostly because Unity is one of the leading mobile-friendly tools, right? So Android, iOS, it has like a very solid foundation where you can build and run applications within just minutes, right? Like even when I was starting, um, like five to six years back, develop like developing for iOS and Android, I had so much of issues. Like this, this was just six uh, six years before. Like even before, like you could easily build a Windows application, but if you're actually building an Apple or an iOS application, there are a bunch of hurdles that you have to jump through. You have to install a bunch of packages, tools. Sometimes it takes days and weeks to actually convert this. Like even if it is available, if you start doing this like from a native SDK, of course you have to do it twice, which leads to like multiple months of development. But 
you have done, you have shortened the time by using a rendering engine like Unity to build the application, but the deployment, it took time. But right now, Unity is like a very capable, stable tool that, I, that can actually build these applications to iOS and Android in a matter of minutes or in a matter of seconds sometimes. You can just hit go to file and click build and run. And within just a minute, uh, it runs on your phone. It's incredible how they've, you know, how they've used the technology to quickly convert the application to one, from one platform to the other platform. Okay, so why do we, why do we have, uh, why do we use native SDKs when we have Unity, right? That is because like Unity is just a top tier, like an easier framework, right? So usually device manufacturers, um, they build their own framework so developers can and will be able to build applications onto their platforms, right? What's, what is the point of a device where there are no applications to run? Right. So if I'm a hardware manufacturer, my second most like my first priority would be, of course, to build the hardware. And my second most second priority should be to actually create a platform so other people can build applications onto my platform. So that is why we have native SDKs. Obviously, developers will be able to use native SDKs to build the applications. But rendering engines like Unity, Unreal Engine, or um, there is another one called um, Cry Engine, right? So those 3D engines has already made the platform to build 3D applications. And what they have to do is to integrate those native SDKs into their tools. And those tools will be able to use the SDKs to build um, applications, or at least convert these applications to, uh, to native platforms. Okay, so now we have different platforms. We have Unity, we have Unreal Engine, what are the other uh, tools that are available for us to build web and, uh, sorry, build uh, AR and VR applications? So one of the widely available platforms or tools that are available to build cross-platform experiences, so cross-platform uh, applications is web. This has been a, you know, this has been going up and down during the last set of years. But now, of course, people have recognized the importance of web and they have released uh, a couple of, not a couple, they have released a bunch of tools and packages. People have released or people have created a bunch of tools to create web applications, right? So like, for example, Facebook um, and uh, Instagram. So all of these social media applications that you run on your phone, run on your phone, are primarily built as web applications. And now they actually run on your Apple device, on your iOS device, and also in TVs, right? If it is a web application, it's basically a website where you can load in your Windows machine or your iOS web, you know, MacBook or your iOS, uh, you know, Apple phone or your Android phone. So just like that, Websites or web applications can be loaded into currently existing VR and AR headsets, which is amazing, right? Because this is like a very, you don't really have to build anything. You, have, you don't have to convert anything. You don't have to do anything because you just build something that uses WebXR and just host it. Somebody can use a web link in a VR headset 
or a uh, or even a mobile phone and load it up in an instance right so the tool that you have to you can use in order to build web applications primarily it's called webxr this is actually a development a com like a um, webxr is a um, contributed development of multiple um, you know companies like google firefox uh, you know all of these web platforms they've and even even oculus they have integrated their own web frameworks into the open web framework so we have webxr where we can build not just vr but ar applications using web okay so we have different tools as i said we have different tools we have different frameworks that helps us build ar and vr applications but how do we how do we start um, building different applications. So I would like to take like I would like to take some minutes to actually explain some use cases and talk through some of those use cases. And through use cases, let's see how I would build some of those applications. Right. Um, just before that, I wanna I wanna explain a couple of things. Um, you know, just like this. So we talked about native and we talked about Unity and Unreal Engine. And then we talked about web. On top of that, we have other platforms such as social AR applications, right? Social AR applications, such as um, MetaSpark or Spark AR, MetaSpark. Or we have uh, Snapchat Lens Studio. TikTok has its own thing called Effect House, right? TikTok Effect House. So those tools are really good, but they run on like different platforms, right? MetaSpark, it runs only on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, Snapchat Lens Studio, it runs primarily on Snap, uh, Snapchat. Uh, but they say that they have something called Camera Kit, which we have where we can build AR applications, which runs on any native application. But it's not out there yet. It's a it's in beta. Nobody knows what they're going to do about it. So. Let's, you know, let's uh, wish that they're going to release it for the public. So we can, you know, we, we wouldn't need to rely on a platform like Unity all the time to build standalone AR applications. And then we have Effect House, which runs on top of TikTok. So this is pretty good, right? So we have social AR, we, we can actually create experiences or even applications, but they run on social media platforms where we have millions of users already. So in terms of user acquisition, and in terms of pub, you know, making things public, one of the easiest ways that we can jump in to building AR and VR experiences is social AR, right? Let's, let's talk about some use cases. Um, there is another one, which is basically the uh, prototyping applications. There are companies such as ShapesXR, um, uh, Bezel. There is another one called Bezel. There is another app. Uh, one called Spline. I'm not sure whether they they love um, uh, you know um, they allow any uh, VR or AR application development, but these are not actually developer frameworks. You don't you will not be able to develop anything. But what you can do is you can actually prototype, right? If you want to prototype your you know your experience, you can use a an application like this. All right. So let's talk about some use cases. Now this is the fun part. Okay. Let's just say 
I have a company, right? I have a company and uh, my company's name is Indie Inc. Right. And as a company, what I do is I build AR, VR experiences and applications to people around the world. Right. Um, yeah. So Mauricio says that Composer Pro is a good for prototypes too. Yes. Yeah. One of those uh, applications where you can actually build prototypes is Composer Pro. Um, it's Reality Composer Pro. It's It can be used to build VR um, augmented reality prototypes that runs on um, Apple devices, right? There is something called Reality Composer where you can use even right now to create something very simple that runs on, yes, uh, that runs on uh, Apple devices. Okay, so we were talking about some use cases. So one client comes in and says, um, hey, Indy, I want to, so I have this toothpaste. I have this toothpaste and I want to create a marketing activation or a marketing campaign to build a an AR experience where people can, uh, you know, people can see their face and when they grin, like a, a brush kind of comes in and automatically, you know, just brushes me. So I want to make some sort of a marketing, you know, fun activation where people can share this video among, you know, among others. And... Uh, and actually win a prize, you know, just tag uh, the uh, tag the toothpaste company and share stuff. So it's kind of like an engagement application that this specific client is looking for. Now I might wonder, okay, so we have native, we have web, we have prototyping applications, we have we have a lot of ways where we can actually build this specific scenario. Now in this specific scenario, this use case, I would love to choose social AR and why would I why would I choose social AR why would I choose snapchat lens studio and meta spark or effect house to create filters so that I can share it with and I mean the only available platform that we can share are social media platforms but in terms of this use case this is the best way to actually reach people right why? Because, you know, like pe people are already using social media and there are already platforms available to build this effect in a, you know, you don't really have to use like native plugins or anything because these platforms have already provided you the, uh, the capability to build such a filter. So you just go ahead and say, all right, so this is my idea, but we're going to be running this on social AR. Why? Because user acquisition is easy. You can share it with anybody who uses any um, any social media platform, right? Okay, now that is good. That's kind of like a preference. Then the client might say, huh, okay, I would love that, but at the same time, I wanna I want people to scan a QR code and regardless of the social media platform that you're using, or even if you're not using any social media platform, you should be able to see this. Okay, now there is the use case. Somebody has to scan a QR code. Now a QR code is primarily a link where you can open up in any web browser, right? And now the, the, the client says, okay, so we need to scan a QR code. That means they're expecting the customers or the users to use a mobile phone camera to actually scan the QR code. So primarily what we need to build, what we need to build is a VR, is an AR application 
that runs on any mobile device. Okay, so now, okay, so we have social AR. We can do this, but it's an option, right? It's an option because it kind of limits us from, you know, reaching out all the people around the world because not everybody has social media accounts. The next possible solution where we can go is to use Unity, right? Unity or Unreal Engine. Or we can use uh, native SDK to build this, you know, native SDKs. Or we can use web. Now, the problem with either of these, Unity or using native SDKs is that, obviously you have to, like ultimately you have to use native SDKs. And using those tools, what you get is an app, right? What you get is an app. You don't get anything that can be hosted in web. You don't get anything that's hosted in social media. Instead, you'll get an app. So now you have another question. You had to put it into app stores, right? You had to put it into like Google Play Store and Android I Apple Store. And you have to find a link so that um, anybody who scans this goes to that Apple App Store account and that user has to download it. Now the question comes, would you download just, you know, for a small like VR brush, toothbrush activation, would you just download a specific app for that? No, that is what we did. I did that, I did the literal thing in 2015 and it was a flop. I mean, it was fine because it was the first one. It, it ran pretty okay, but we did a second version of that a couple of years later. It was a flop, nobody downloaded it because users don't wanna spend time downloading applications. They already have like hundreds of applications in their mobile devices and they don't want more just for a couple of minute uh, activation, right? So the candidate of this is web, right? Obviously we can use WebXR. Um, there are uh, tools that are available in web that actually gives facial recognition. So usually if you are building WebXR applications, the the, the um, the programming language that you're primarily going to be using is JavaScript, right? So JavaScript, so to run three, 3D models, you can use 3JS. 3JS is a, uh, a very, like 3JS, and there's another one called Babylon.js, Babylon.js. So this, uh, these two uses something called WebGL, right? Web Graphics Library to render, to create 3D models in in web, right? So 3JS, Babylon.js, whatever that we use, we use JavaScript, and on top of that, we use WebXR combined all together, we build our web application. And our web application is basically a website, so you can host it as a website, right? You can host it as a website, and that website link is gonna be the QR code where somebody can scan, which loads the web application. If you don't want to build everything from scratch, there is a really cool tool called 8th Wall. I'm actually using the colors of them, right? 8th Wall is a company that actually primarily is specialized in web augmented reality applications. It's a little, it's not beginner friendly for anybody to get started because 8th Wall, what they do is they provide you the context recognition. Context recognition, that means it can recognize planes, it can recognize faces, um, you know, posters or things like that. But on top of that, any logic that we put into, right? Any 3D model that we need to show, we anyway have to use something like 3JS or Babylon.js or any sort of JavaScript framework to do that, right? So 8Vol is actually acquired by Niantic. 
Niantic. Really awesome company. I've met them. They're amazing what they do. Um, and um, you can use 8Vol to, to build this application in a, in a very less time. Because if you, if you want to build WebXR from scratch, then of course you have to build everything like context recognition, everything from scratch, which, is, which can take a little bit more time. 8Vol, it gives a platform to, you know, um, to build everything. You don't really have to start everything from scratch because they give the context recognition as a set of libraries. Okay, so that is one use case, right? So there are two options that we can choose from depending on the, uh, the requirement of the client where we can go, whether we can go ahead with social AR or we can go ahead with Niantic 8Vol or not 8Vol or WebXR. Right, so for in terms of social AR, we actually, uh, I actually did a small lab session last time, uh, last Thursday on um, building a small Snapchat lens, right? We didn't use any code. Of, of, of course, we did a little bit of code, but it was not much. Um, and uh, it was fun. So, you know, like next week, we're gonna be doing something else. Uh, so stick around with us. So I'm going to be doing a lot of these things in the future as well, okay. Right, so that is my first use case. I'm gonna be talking about another two use cases and then we can end the session. Um, the next use case is, uh, da, da, da. we are standalone game. I want to build, now a client comes in and says, I want to build a fitness application where people can uh, wear a VR headset and using controllers, just jump and jump up and down, cut stuff, shoot stuff, you know, punch stuff. And it needs to be a standalone game. It should not be uh, connected to any other computers or anything. Okay, so now of course we have multiple options. We can start with web, right? We can start with web. Um, but the problem is this is something, this is some sort of a, some sort of a application that a person would visit quite often, right? Obviously it can be a web XR application, but the problem is this is a game that needs to have a lot of content. A lot of content needs to be de delivered at the same time. Music, audio, visual effects, you know, things like that, which is okay, but when it comes to WebXR, we have to host like megabytes and megabytes of data in the cloud, and we have to retrieve to the user's headset every day. On top of that, we are using a native kind of a platform. We are using only code, or we have like some editors that we can build. But when it comes to building on top of web, we have like, you know, WebXR is fine, but it's not that good for, you know, high intensive, experiences, right? This is something, this is this is an option, right? If the client says, I don't want the people, I don't want people to download an application, this is the only way to go, right? So this is one of the options that we can choose from. But when it comes to the development timeline, it might take a little while because you have to integrate, you have to build everything like using JavaScript from scratch. The other option is obviously to use native SDKs. Uh, the performance and everything is gonna be good. But, you know, this is standalone. Obviously you can use Android operating system or Android SDK to build it. But the tools that are available right now is 
like they're not primarily made to build VR applications, even though you can, but some sort of interactions like, you know, moving things, uh, you know, rendering 3D models, visual effects and things like that. This might take a little while to develop, right? So this is also another option. You can choose it depending on the uh, the size of your, you know, depending on the size of your uh, size of your team, if they're capable enough to actually handle the native project, obviously you can do that. The third option is, of course, to use an engine like Unity or Unreal, right? And why we choose something like Unity or Unreal is that we are making a VR standalone game, right? Unity and Unreal Engine and some of the other game engines are known for games. So you don't really have to build the whole game logics from scratch. Like for an example, if you wanna build a small physics simulation where you throw something and it goes off, it bounces off, like, you know, like realistic physical simulations, you don't have to build everything from scratch, just like when you're using WebXR or Native. Unity and Unreal Engine, they already have that, right? So on top of that, they provide the rendering capability to run these applications on VR and AR devices. So I would say the best option is to go ahead and choose Unity and Unreal Engine because we can we can allow a user to download download an application something that a user can you know always open up play the game stop the game just keep the headset aside come back in the morning even without a network connection you will be able to play the game right and that's the whole point of using something like unity and unreal engine to develop the xr app okay so two two more uh, use cases i don't want to spend a lot of time explaining uh, you know all the necessary components but one component, one use case that I found uh, many of the students at CircuitStream request is how do I build something, how to build an app that downloads content, you know, dynamic content and actually use them in AR. For an example, let's say, hey, Indy, uh, I know that you have a, you know, uh, a company that builds AR VR apps. I'm going to build an XR furniture app. Right? I am uh, IKEA. I'm Aiki, right? I'm um, Aiki. I build, uh, you know, furniture and I need to make an AR furniture app. So, what are the requirements? I need to update the catalog every month. Right? I need to update prices every day. I need users to register themselves. And I also need to purchase by just visit, just by looking at this, um, uh, you know, AR furniture in their place. Right? So, okay. Now we can actually build the XR component, right? In this case, my suggestion would be to use either web AR or something like native. If you want to reduce the time, you can use Unity or Unreal Engine for that, right? So how do we actually integrate all of the other stuff? Now, this is a matter of other components and not exactly the AR component, right? 
So some of the things that they that the client has mentioned is that people needs to register, right? People needs to register and they need to be able to like purchase everything. And the other component is uh, as the owner of the company, I should be able to upload or I should be able to update the catalog every day. So the 3D models that you have used in your project is going to be obsolete when the owner decides to change them, right? Or you have to keep on updating the app every now and then, right? So this is actually um, an entry to a term called distributed computing. Distributed computing, right? So what does it mean by distributed computing? So you actually is hoping to use an application that registers yourself and you will be able to log in, right? So apart from the AR component of this, you have to find a way to create a database of people and also find a way to actually communicate from the mobile device to that database, right? So this is where we use the cloud technology to you know, host the databases and host these services so that it uses internet to communicate with the cloud, um, you know, the cloud server. We call it as a server. So basically what we are doing is we are using, either we are building our own solution or we are using a third party to help us build that solution, right? So in order to log in, to register, to manage a content, right? We call it a content management system we have to create a web service, right? I don't want to take the time to talk about web services, but if you are to build something from scratch, then there are like a lot of tools available, like, you know, JavaScript, Node.js, PHP. There are like other frameworks called Laravel and things like that. There is like, you can use Java and using Java, there is another framework called Spring and Spring Boot where you can build web services, but this is not primarily XR. These are supporting technologies. If we don't want to build everything from scratch, there are tools like Google Firebase or um, there is something called Parse. I know that Parse is not available right now, uh, but Unity has also created their own web service where you can integrate. So you don't really need to rely on your, you don't need to work or you don't need to build your own web service. Instead, you can just use Unity's web services that they have provided in order to in implement something like this. Right, so those are some of the tools that you can actually use uh, you know, in terms of web services. Now, on the other hand, the content management system somebody needs to update those 3D models every day, right? So in AR, you cannot, when you're building your AR application or VR application, you cannot really hard code or just, you know, put all the 3D models in the app because those 3D models will be discontinued, right? So you have to find a way to update all the content without actually updating the app every time. So, if you are building an application from native or either web tools, right? If you're building application using, sorry, not Unity, uh, native or web, you can upload the web 3D, you can upload the 3D models, right? So the FBX files, GLB files. So these 3D models can be uploaded into a hard drive in the cloud, right? The cloud means it's another computer that is managed, maintained by Google or Amazon or Microsoft. So we have all these 3D models placed in somewhere. 
And the content management system has the capability to move and you know, upload, remove these 3D models. If you are using something like Unity, this is something that I have used as well. Um, Unity, you can import the 3D model and export it as an asset bundle. Asset bundle, right? These asset bundles can be placed in web servers and Unity has the capability to download them, expand them and view them, right? Now, for an example, I have a furniture app. I built the furniture app. Now from the backend or from the, uh, the administrators or the content management system, somebody would be able to create the asset bundle and upload that asset bundle into that platform. When somebody opens up the phone, that web service will say, hey, currently these are the models that are available that you can check. So you tap on one of those models and that asset bundle will now be downloaded, right? So that is how we can actually build that, right? That asset bundle will now be downloaded to your phone and then you can actually uh, use your normal AR visualization methods to actually view them, right? So that is my third uh, use case. The fourth use case, the fourth and the final use case for the day, I know that I've a little, I'm a little bit over time is, okay, the use case is, I'm going to build an AR app. I wanna build an AR app where multiple users can create a monument. Right <laughs> now, this is this is very fun. I want to build. This is fun. The idea is somebody has to create an app where multiple people collaboratively create an AR monument in somewhere. Okay, if it is just one person, it's fine. We can figure out a way. We can just we know how to recognize the plane. We know how to um, you know, manage the, uh, the interactions. We know how to render the graphic of this monument, which is fine, we can do that. But now the problem is we have three users. How do we synchronize everything, right? So now in this case, obviously you have to use those web services again. You have to let people register, right? You have to people know each other. You have to send requests, you have to somehow come into a common ground or come into a common space where you can actually interact with each other. That's the whole idea. And this is where we have to use multi-user or multiplayer frameworks, right? Multiplayer. <clears throat> so as of right now, you're anyway using those web services. And on top of that, we have to use multiplayer, right? Multiplayer. So what does it mean by multiplayer? <clears throat> Multiplayer is nothing but a gimmick, right? So that is what I say. Multi-user is nothing but a gimmick. What is this gimmick? Let's just say I have a, you know, in the cloud, I have placed a person, right? In the cloud, there's a person looking down. User A now has recognized a place in the, in the park and user A says, hey, look, this is where I'm going to create the monument. And that information goes to the cloud, right? That information goes to the cloud. And now cloud says, okay, I got the information. 
Now I'm going to inform other people, other two people about that, um, you know, about that monument position, right? So this is known as server authoritative uh, mode. I don't want to spend a lot of time teaching you multiplayer, but that is what happens. So then the mobile device, right? The mobile device, the application that we have created has to synchronize what A does in B and C's mobile devices, right? And at the same time, B and C also says, hey, I did this. C also says, hey, I did this. And this, uh, the person in the cloud has to convey that message to A, right? So if you're building a multi-user application, it is obviously it is hard, harder than building a single user application. But on top of that, you have to use different types of logic in order to synchronize everything. This you have to do on top of the existing web services that you use to user registration, login, and everything. So this is a good use case. It's not actually augmented reality, right? When it comes to system development, any sort of a system development, the underlying uh, core is the same, right? When it comes to obviously the 3D applications, right? So AR, VR, or whatever it is, basically what we do is we have a virtual 3D environment and we synchronize that virtual 3D environment with the actual world to build AR applications. And to build VR applications, basically what we do is we synchronize our movement within a virtual world. Right, But the logic that is behind, that goes behind underneath these applications is pretty much the same, right? Why I say pretty much the same? You can build a game like Mario, right? No VR, no AR, you have the game. You have the game logic that you built already that is running maybe the Unity or native or web or whatever it is, you have the game now. How do I convert this to a VR application? It's just a matter of replacing the actual camera with a VR headset camera. If you're converting that to an AR application, it's just a matter of changing the virtual camera inside of that application into a mobile phone's camera. So you can just play Mario uh, on your street, right? Or in VR, you can play Mario as Mario. You can just run as Mario because, you know, the logic is pretty much the same. There are a little bit of differences, of course, you know, in terms of interactions, but the logic is the same. If you want to convert this to a multi-user application, it is the same as creating a multi, like non-VR multiplayer application, right? So there are not a lot of differences. There are different types of technologies that works together in order to build, uh, build applications. So when it comes to XR application development, as now you have recognized, it's not just one pathway. It's a wide spectrum of stuff right? A wide spectrum of things that you can use. And the choice is yours. You can choose and you can decide, right? This is where I'm leading to. This is where I'm going to. But whatever the tool that you build, whatever the tool that you used to build, you can use social AR, WebXR, Unity or native or whatever it is for development. The principles are the same. For development or design, the 3D principles are the same. You have mesh, you have materials, you have lighting, you have animation, right? So those are like principles. You don't really differentiate them from Unity or Unreal Engine. Those are the same things. 
and also in terms of programming, object-oriented programming, data structures, like principles, design patterns, those are principles. So once you get to know all of these technologies, you will get to realize, all right, now there is an application where I can use Unity to develop because I already know how to use C-sharp and I already know how Unity works. And it seems like a pretty good candidate to build this application. Or sometimes you can even argue, right? You can say, hey, Unity is not the best one to do that because Unity is heavy and uh, you know you don't you don't you don't get a lot of um, performance when it comes to Unity. So those are the things that you actually learn when using all of these tools, and you know that's how you get experience. So <clears throat> what we do at Circuit Stream, of course, with all of our bootcamp and XR uh, courses, is to provide you the knowledge of the principles. We are not expecting you to teach a tool and then you know just just say okay no you would understand the tools, the principles. Of course, the tools are there. You just know the tools because the technologies change over time. So what I use to build a WebXR application today might not be the same thing that I'm going to be using tomorrow. So I cannot talk about just one tool every day. It's, it's, not, it's, not, um, it's not a winning scenario. But talking about principles, teaching the principles to everybody is the way to go, right? So that is what we do in our courses as well. Um, and I'm hoping to run all of these, uh, you know, events like the podcast, the dev labs, design labs as well. Uh, not just to give you the principles, but also the principles that we have learned to actually build some applications and also to understand some high level perspectives of developing XR applications. Uh, not just XR, in the future, we are hoping to use um, the same for other technologies as well. So that is pretty much it. I think I talked nonstop for like one and a half hours. If you have any questions, I'm happy to answer. In the meantime, I'm sending a link here. If you are still around, what I want to know is your thoughts on these types of sessions. And if you have any suggestions for future sessions, please put it in the chat as well. So um, I know that some of you have been going up and down uh, to this session, but if you stayed from start to the end, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for staying. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. I'm always in the Discord uh, community. Feel free to just tag me or just ask any question in terms of anything. So thank you so much for joining. Uh, next week's session is going to be, I don't know, I'm going to be sharing that uh, a little bit later in our Discord channel. So thank you so much for joining. Have a nice, lovely evening. <laughs>